Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. to the great commandments. So let's open our word to Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to start with Matthew 11:25. And I want to talk about learning a whole new way to live, learning a whole new way to live. So Jesus lived his life on earth to redeem us, right? He came to die for our sins, to redeem us as the people of God, bring us back. But with his crucifixion and his resurrection, we can become the people of God. But he lived on earth, we've talked about this before, to teach us how to live. So there's the will of God that all men would be saved. And then there's the way of God, which is walking as Jesus walked when he was on the earth. The people of God representing him to the world around them. And learning, like when you come to, I know when we've come, you know, from the States to Britain, six years ago now, we knew we'd have a lot to learn. And then when we got here, so we, we weren't like completely naive about missions and cross-cultural serving. We had done some, so we had enough knowledge to know, okay, I know we're going to have to learn a lot. But then when we got here and we started living here, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. There's so many differences. There's lots of new things to learn. There's lots of little differences. And, um, and I want you to just think about that mindset. How many of you have gone to a different culture before? You've, got, you've gone over, overseas. You may be married even into a different culture. And, and you know that there's a learning curve, right? When we become children of God, we get this massive learning curve. We have to learn a whole new way to live. The kingdom way, the way of love. And even some of you, like in here this morning, you see a bunch of people like dancing and like look like they're kind of out of control. Like what, in your mind, maybe dance was just something you did in your 20s at the club, you know? And some of you ladies, it's confusing because I know you were dancing. You were, some of you were probably dancing last night at a club. And yet you come into the house of God and you can't associate dancing with actually something that's kingdom related. You have to learn a whole new way to dance. You don't just not dance, you learn a new way to dance. Because that's what redemption is. It's buying back what was originally created for God. So we've got this whole new way of life. So Jesus comes to teach us how to live as the redeemed people of God and how to live in a kingdom culture. The culture of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't just tell us the will, you know, that people be saved and that they're healed and they're delivered, but he shows us the way. There's a way. It's peace. It's a way of love. And in Matthew 11, I'm going to start in verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. 
My father has entrusted everything to me, and no one knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son, and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So last week we talked about the great, uh, or a couple weeks ago and last week, Joe preached last week on Deuteronomy 6, and the week before I preached on Luke 10, which is that great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And I was, as I've been pondering that this week, and even at our community group, we were sitting around, you know, these ladies, and, and we were like, we were talking about how crazy our day was, and I was like, well, what, what, makes, what makes a day like crazy? What makes it feel really like a lot? And so we started talking, and then we were actually thinking, you know, you know what feels crazy in life? It's when all these people need stuff from you. <laughs> it's like you go to work, and you've got like 10 people who are needy, and you go home, and you've got kids needy, and you go to here, there, and everywhere, and it's like these people are like sucking the life out of you. And isn't that kind of what happens? Like we're brave, and we're like, oh, I'm going to enter into community. I want to be the people of God. I want to show up in these spaces. I want to make friends. I want to love people. So we start showing up in the space, and then like the man in the Good Samaritan parable, we come across these needs. You know, the story of the, um, the, the Good Samaritan that we read in Luke 10, the man comes across this other man who had been beaten, like serious needs. And so we encounter needs when we come into community. And sometimes it's feeling like as soon as you get started in some friendships and relationships, we have like need phobia. We're afraid of needs. And so as soon as people start getting needy, we start backing away. And we're like, uh-uh, nope. No, y'all, y'all, I'll be your friend, but once you've got a problem, sorry, I've got too many problems of my own. And that's often because we're coming into the kingdom in the way of life with the world's way of doing things still as our default. We have to learn a new way if we're going to do community. We have to learn a new way of life, right? And so Jesus comes and he says things like, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to become childlike. You have to learn. What's the thing about children is they don't know a lot. And most kids know they don't know a lot. Even though they say, I know, I know, I know, I know a lot, they, they've got this sense of they're still curious, they're still learning. And it's so important for us as the people of God to enable to live a life of great commitment, great, great um, commandment, great commission, is we have to understand we've got a lot of learning to do. We have to learn how to love. Our default sin nature is everything revolves around us. And, and then we get programmed with dysfunction in our own sin, and you combine the brokenness of the people around us, and we simply don't know, we don't feel like we know how to do what God's asked us to do. And then we get saved, and we think we're going to learn it at an altar call in one service. And we think we're going to learn it so quickly, and then it's like, well, the first five years may be learning, but the last, you know, 70 can be experienced. But that's not the way it works. Just like in real life, you spend your whole life learning your whole life growing in God's kingdom, your whole life will be one of learning. 
you always have to have this posture to learn. And Jesus says, so he says you need to be childlike, and then he says you need to come to me, and you need to learn from me. And how do we, how do we live life of community without putting the brakes on and backing up every time somebody has an issue that we can't solve? How do we stay in the presence of other people when there are real problems that are overwhelming? How do we commit? Isn't that what's scary about commitment is like, you're saying yes, but you don't know what dysfunction everybody has. You don't know what problems they're gonna ask you about, and so we're scared. We're so scared. And why we have to learn a new way to love, we have to learn the way of God, is because his way is the way of love, and that love frees us from the fear. It drives out fear. In 1 John, it says that perfect love, it expels fear, meaning that perfect love and fear cannot coexist. So we're going to have to deal with some of our fear if we want to learn how to love. And we're going to have to commit to learning. And we're going to have to give grace for other people to learn as well. So how are we going to learn how to cope with needs? How are we going to learn how to do community and, like, commit to it? First, I want us to commit to keep coming to Jesus. Come to me. Come to me. I know this is so basic, but yet in all my, in my experience, in my own personal life, I just, I honestly feel like I cannot overstate enough how absolutely vital your personal time with the Lord is. I cannot overstate how necessary that is and how much the enemy and your flesh will fight it. But if you want to live in the presence of people, you are going to have to commit to the presence of God. You are going to have to prioritize it. And I'm not talking about seasonal. Oh, that was a good season. I did a lot of good time with God, and now I'm in a season where I haven't talked to God only on the car ride. I'm talking about let's grow up. If we want to commit to community, we're going to have to commit to coming to God. And this is the, the, the enemy wants to lie to you, to make you believe that that's some sort of drain, when that is actually the source of all the life that you need. He wants to lie to you and make you think that you can't come. Shame, let shame drive you away. But I'm telling you, I promise you, keep coming to God. And as you keep coming, his presence, his love is going to drive out that shame, drive out that accusation that wants to drive you from him. But you cannot be in healthy relationships with others and not have a healthy, robust relationship with God come to me. Say, come to me. The bigger the problems, the more need for prayer. Come on, when you're sick, you need certain nutrients more when you're not well, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm not doing well, so I haven't come to church, and I haven't read the Bible, and I haven't prayed. And I haven't. That makes no sense. When your spirit is weak, you need more time with God. You need more corporate settings. You need more time in his word. You need more praying in tongues. You need more prayer from other people. When you're weak, supplement. Say supplement. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Well, this is not rocket science. You know this. But why is it that we do the exact opposite? We start becoming weak in spirit, and we start backing away from the very thing that gives us life and strength. So first, how we're going to live community, how we're going to live greatly committed to this great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is we're going to come to Jesus. 
We're going to come to him, right? Because he said, freely you have received, so freely give. So receiving, then giving. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. Much is given to us, and it's given to us every day, and we need more of him. Now, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to help you. He's the only source that will satisfy your need. There's no shortcut around it. In fact, I could preach, come to Jesus every single week for the rest of my life, and I bet the majority of the room would always need to hear it. Because you live in a culture that is anti-Christ. You live in a culture that devalues time with God, doesn't even believe in God. Come to him. Say, come to him. Well, what do I do if I have, listen, you will find time for what's important to you. You will find time for it. And there's a whole bunch of time from, what, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. that we can use sometimes when we're desperate. There's the night hours. But find that time and come to him. Otherwise, community will drain you and you will not be able to commit to it. So come to Jesus, he said. And then secondly, I want to talk even about what he says next, which I've already kind of touched on. Learn from me. So learning is a posture of humility. And learning is essential to be able to commit to community. There's many biblical reasons, but practical reason is it's very obnoxious to be around people who think they know everything. Nobody wants to hang around that. So even practically, let's just take God and the Bible out. It is very obnoxious to be around people who think they know everything. Am I right? Yes. Okay, so we've got to have this posture of learning and humility if we're going to get joy out of community. We have things to learn from each other. We have things to learn from God. And not just little things. We've got huge paradigm shifts. Jesus came on the earth, and he's teaching us this whole new way to live. And we have to have these massive paradigm shifts. So one of the paradigm shifts is this shift from problems, I've got to avoid problems, to I've got to embrace the burdens and the problems of other people. Now, before you shut me out because you're already burnt out, and before you shut me out with all the history of your trauma from all these things, just give me time, okay? Just give me time to explain. I'm not discounting the need for boundaries. I'm not discounting the need for you to take care of yourself. I'm not discounting how draining people can be. I'm not discounting the whole topic of toxic people. But let's just talk about the gospel and how we're here to imitate Christ. And let's talk about the fact that he came and he took on our sin problem when it wasn't his problem. He took on a problem that was our problem. It wasn't his problem. So we cannot be problem phobic. We are here on planet earth to, with the grace of God, bring his solutions to the earth. We aren't the saviors, but we're the conduits of a saving grace. So I love what John Ortberg says. I think I've shared this with you before in his book, All the Places to Go, How Will You Know? He says, life is facing and solving problems. When God calls people, he calls them to face a problem. Growth is not the ability to avoid problems. Growth is the ability to handle larger and more interesting problems. 
2 Corinthians 5.21. This is the verse I just referenced. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can't be afraid of problems. Now, we, we can't solve everybody's problem, but that goes back to the, but first, this massive paradigm, sh- this massive paradigm shift. If you want to live in community, you've got to see that God has actually anointed you and put his spirit on you and put these gifts in you to help bring his solutions to the world. So we're not going to be problem averse. And listen, how do we handle, though, the pressure of that? Well, we look back to the life of Jesus. All the problems he saw, even in the miracles that he did, his heart overwhelmed, moved to compassion. You know, how did he live in that, that just knowing all of it and not just let his soul collapse under grief? We look to him and we see this rock-solid prayer life again. Jesus going away, spending all night with the Lord in prayer. How do you, because one of the things I was talking to somebody about, I think it was some of the young adults, we were talking about, you know, how do you like keep caring? Like how can you keep contact with people and keep the problems like close and, and, and not become hard? I don't know about you, but when I get stressed, I just start telling everybody no, 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 no. And you in the future of that, no. <laughs> and we get in this lockdown mode of survival, right? And we're just like telling everybody no. So how do, and why? Because we're just trying to survive. And we, and we don't, honestly, sometimes our own human heart, we feel overwhelmed. And we're like, honestly, I don't even care. Like, I'm sorry, but I've got enough problems. And I don't care. You've got to figure that out with God. And I know you're shocked that a pastor's saying that. But this is human flesh and blood. I'm in my process of sanctification as well. How can I deeply care? I've asked the Lord this. How do I deeply care about all the needs? Because like, I want to be genuine. But I've got a problem, God. <laughs> and my problem is I don't care like I should care. And this is what I've learned is prayer is necessary for care. No prayer, no care. <laughs> Paul and Jesus, in their ministry, they are people of prayer. And prayer is what keeps our hearts tender. Prayer is where we receive the burden and the hope of God for people's problems. And sometimes that's why some of us in our, in our jobs, in our work, we, we do, we get burnt out. And it's not because we don't want to care. It's because we're not praying specifically about the things that need prayer. So I get, I've learned, I get very specific about the people that I need to pray for. Because when I'm just faithfully showing up in the place of prayer, just praying, I pray in tongues because I'm uttering mysteries. Sometimes when you don't have understanding, right, your your mind can't get wrapped around what God is doing. And you're sinking in the gap between the promise and the manifestation. You have to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. You have to pray in, in tongues because when you pray in tongues, you're speaking mysteries to God. And you're edifying your own man. So sometimes, on on behalf of other people, I just pray in tongues to just release my hope. I'm uttering mysteries. My mind clearly doesn't have the solution. And tongues is a gift that if you ask and ask and ask, God will give it like other gifts of the Spirit. So you've got to be able to embrace and live in the place of prayer. And this is the thing. Prayer is work. Prayer is often, it's, it's receiving, it's refreshing, but it's also work to pray. It's also bringing, when, when you are praying, when you're interceding, you are fighting on behalf of those who cannot fight for themselves. 
And that's good news for some people, right? Because some of you, you feel so disappointed that you don't have a full-time job or you're not able to work because of disability or you're not able to go out in the world and produce something. But I'm telling you, prayer is valuable work. And there are some incredible stories of people who were sick, bedridden, bedridden sick and changed the course of history because their commitment to pray from their sickbed. So don't underestimate the value of prayer. Listen to what Watchman Nee says. He says, prayer is work. The experiences of many children of God demonstrate that it accomplishes far more than does any other form of work. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work, but prayer is the greater work because we can do nothing without God's help and power. We are dependent on him. And the greater work of prayer is essential for advancing his kingdom plans and purposes. So we've got to relearn things, okay? And we've got to come to Jesus. And we've got to learn we're made for problems. We're made to bring the solution of God. And it's not that we're always going to even know the solution. Sometimes you will pray in a solution and you will, never, you will never know it even manifested in somebody's life. You may just pray it all in tongues and you could be, you're, pro- you're probably praying in tongues about stuff that is like this brilliant plan and it's going to hit somebody in a high place of power and they're going to have this idea hit them that's going to, who knows, cure cancer or whatever. It's just incredible to think about what can happen with the Holy Spirit. I love it. And there's, I love this quote by William Law. There's nothing that makes us love a man so much as praying for him. So why do you think Jesus said pray for your enemies? Prayer cultivates genuine care. I want you to commit to be a people that come to Jesus, a people that prays for each other and commits to learning these big paradigm shifts. Another big paradigm shift is that power looks like serving. We come into the world and we just want, there's some things we learn and experience, character traits that we bring into the kingdom of God that really are values of the kingdom, right? Hard work, respect, honor. But then there's things in our culture that the Lord literally, it's completely upside down in his kingdom. And power and serving is one of those things. So it's, it's I mean, and we, we really like, we say we get it, but then when we start living it and our feelings have to catch up, we resist it. We hear promotion comes from the Lord. And then, you know, we work real hard and we don't get the promotion and we start getting angsty on the inside. You know, we, we know certain things, but then when we start to live it, our feelings hit us. So we've got to learn this whole new way of loving and loving looks like serving. And we know this in theory, but it really helps when you're surrounded by all these needs. It's like when I was with the women at the, at the community group and we're talking about, you know, all these needs, 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 needs. And if I have the paradigm that a good life equals very little need, then I'm going to be wrestling on the inside for all my days with Jesus. If I come into the kingdom living and I think that Jesus is meant to eliminate needs and eliminate problems, and that a sign of his presence is I have no stress, I'm going to be in turmoil on the inside. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not saying we're always going to be stressed out, but Paul says he was anxious and up all night praying for the churches. He said, who walked away that I didn't feel it, that I didn't feel the anger of God? 
sleepless nights, going without food. He says, and, and you can feel the passion. There's this passion in Paul's writings when he's caring for his churches. So if you think that ministry or serving Jesus is going to be some kind of stress-free existence, you're going to struggle. You're going to think something's wrong with you. So listen to what Jesus, because then this morning I was like, well, Lord, give me an example of somebody who was like serving and loving, and it was a really stressful time of their life. You know, because when I talk to you, most of you have a lot going on. Most of you have a lot of stuff you're working through. You've got a lot of demands. You've got grief. You've got sickness. You've got things, real life struggles. So I'm like, Lord, give me something to help those, because when we're there, we kind of, right, what do we do? We start backing away, and we're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't be around people. I can't serve people because i got to survive. So, Lord, what do you do in that? So now I want to go to John 13. So this is the beginning. John 13 starts the beginning of the final hour, as Jesus calls it, of his life here on earth. Final hour. So the religious leaders are hating him, and they're out to kill him. I mean, that's pretty stressful. I have, I have a lot of things I'm concerned about, but I don't have religious leaders out to kill me. So Jesus has religious leaders that are about to kill him. He's about to suffer physically, emotionally, mentally. He's about to go to the cross, and he knows that. He's about to suffer on the cross. He's not just physically. The sin of the world God is actually going to place on him in that suffering. And he's going to cry, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'd say this is pretty stressful stuff. Yeah. So in the middle of that stress, in another one of the Gospels, this is just a side rabbit trail, he takes Peter, James, and John with him to the garden. It says that his soul is crushed with grief. He's in so much distress, he's actually bleeding sweat drops. Now, if I'm going to be in that kind of distress, I'm not bringing people with me. I'm like, Peter, James, and John, you are not about to see me like this. It's about to get ugly. But look at the community that he lived in, the relationships that he modeled. He brought his closest friends into the hour of his greatest distress. He didn't say, sit here while I sort this. I'll catch you up at the resurrection when I'm coming through with glory. Do you hear me right now? He's trying to teach you a new way to live. You're frustrated because you don't have the fulfillment that he's promised. That's because you're still doing things the way the world did them, and you're wanting the results that God promised. The will of God is found through the way of God. The will of God is accessed by walking in the way of God. Every little day choices. People say, you know, even about, um, about marriages. And they say, well, it's, God, it's not God's will for, um, for a divorce. And God does hate the hardness of our hearts that leads to that separation. He's also a God of compassion and restoration. But you know what he also hates? When I disrespect my husband. So it's like there's a way that's leading you somewhere. Are you with me? Are you focused? Can you push through all the distractions and can you stay with me a little bit longer? The way 
is taking you somewhere. Somebody has a will for your life. God has a will. Satan has a will. And there are little things like attitudes and the words that you speak. That's somebody's way for you. There's a flesh way. There's the enemy's way. And there's God's way. If you want God's will, say yes. You better get on his way. You better do things his way in the little things. Don't go to bed with the, the sun. Don't let the sun sink with the anger still in your heart. These little things. We glaze over these things. And then we get to the big crisis, right? And we're so perplexed. Where's your will, God? Where's your will? He says, where you been on my way? Where you been the past 15 years sassing off your husband, giving him the silent treatment? I mean, we're all, now listen, I'm not trying to shame you or condemn you. We're all sinners saved by grace. I'm just trying to help answer some questions. God's will means God's way. Now, if you want to know how to do this, I really encourage you to go back and listen to some of the stuff we've taught on the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, living a life immersed in the Spirit of God, is absolutely necessary. And this is where we think we can do things. Things like, listen to some of the things that the scriptures say. Pray without ceasing. Fix your thoughts on me and I'll give you perfect peace. Fix your gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Come boldly before his throne of grace and you'll find mercy in your time of need. All these things, this all, when I read the scripture, I find out that we really need to be all in. Like our lives, our lives need to be immersed in the life of the Spirit. Nobody can do this without the help of Holy Spirit. And hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's only asking you to be responsible for you. Come on, even in marriage, you're responsible for you. You can't control. It doesn't say the fruit of the Holy Spirit is being able to control your spouse. No. And, there, and then we are sometimes, we are the recipients of people's sin. And we are the recipients of their choices that they made that were wrong. And there is redemption and there is mercy and there's restoration and there's forgiveness for all of us. All of us. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. But I'm just saying, you, you yourself, can you commit to walking in God's ways afresh? Can you commit to a life immersed in the Spirit? Can you say no to other things so you can focus on the Lord and spend time in His presence? So Jesus in His hour of need, and John 13, and it's stressful, and He's in anguish. He's about to go to the cross. And just for time's sake, I won't read all of it, but if you read John 13, Jesus stoops down, and He starts washing His disciples' feet. Okay, what would you do if you were in this situation? And I know Joe's talked about this recently. Why is it our nature, our sin nature, the more stressed we are, it's often we demand more from other people and we give less. But Jesus is modeling something for us here, okay? He even says, I'm doing this so that you will have an example to follow. In verse 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done to you. I'm amazed by Jesus. 
I can't, I can't wrap my head just around him yet, but I just, uh, this moment where it's all about to go down, and he's still using the very last moments of his life to model for us what real love is. That love is being able to stoop low and serve. And I was praying about a difficult, a challenging situation. And I just, again, I felt this call. I, I felt like a stern warning from the Lord not to fear. And not, it, wasn't like this, it wasn't like this comforting, like, Stacy, don't be afraid. No, it was like the Isaiah 8. It was like the Lord coming to Isaiah in chapter 8, and he says, the Lord has given me a strong warning, and he has commanded me not to fear what they fear, not to call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Because when we're in fear, we can't be in love. When we're in fear, we want to control. And control is not love. So I can't fear because what's needed is love. So what do I do? I do what John, 1 John 4, I put my trust in God's love. I put my trust in God's love. I'm not going to fear. And when we're not afraid, we can do these crazy things that Jesus did. We can serve in our darkest hour. We can bring people into our grief and our anguish. Because we're not controlled by fear, we are overpowered by the Holy Spirit. I'd like the band just to come back up. In summary, I want us to commit, to come to him, to learn, to have humility, to learn a new way of caring through prayer, and learning to serve each other. It's funny because I love hearing, I'm not discrediting, like, I'm not trying to discredit the pain you guys have experienced. I'm not trying to say that things have not been unjust in some areas, even in your church experience, in your past marriages. I'm not discounting that. I'm trying to challenge you to commit to the will of God afresh, to do things the way of God that leads to peace, that leads to life. He's going to use all that pain, all that the enemy meant to destroy you and shut you down. He can use it to reach other people. He can use those stories to serve other people. Nothing is wasted by God. Nothing is wasted by him. I want us to commit to come to him, to learn from each other. And I hear some of the, ex, um, the experiences and the pain and the struggle that you've had even in past places and past churches. And I don't guarantee that this church will be any better for you. We're just a bunch of humans being saved by grace. But I will say this. I want to commit to care for you. And I want to commit to bring people in this church who will care for you and raise up people who will pray for you. And I want us to commit for the long haul that we're going to learn together. We're going to learn from each other. We're going to learn how to love. We're going to learn how to walk in the way of God together. It's an honor and it's a joy to be here together on this journey with the Lord. We have so much to learn together. But I feel like one thing, you know, that, that really hinders us is we come into new places and new spaces and we're not willing to learn. We're not willing to learn a new way. We're not willing to learn from other people. Our past and our past pain is so loud that it is hindering sometimes our ability to listen to others and hear what they're saying. 
Sometimes loving looks like serving, like Jesus washing at the, the disciples' feet. And sometimes loving and serving looks like Mary at the feet of Jesus listening while Martha was in the kitchen. I want us to commit to listen to each other, to love each other. I want you, maybe you're even in here and you're looking for a church. I want to encourage you, find a people that you can journey with in learning to love. There's no perfect place. There's no perfect church. You're going to have to, like all of us, you're going to have to be willing to what I taught on the other week, show mercy. But there is a place where you can plant and flourish. There is a place where you can plant and grow in maturity. There is a place where you can grow and learn and love. And because there's such an urgency in the hour, I really want to encourage you to do that. Why don't we all stand to our feet?